Through the fathomless depths of space swims the star turtle, the great Atuan. And on its back are four nerds trying to figure out just what it is that makes Sir Terry Pratchett's work both timely and timeless. So drink that special goblin potion, hop on the footplate, and join us on our journey through Raising Steam and the complete discography. Hello, and welcome to the 40th recording of the uh, Complete Discography, where we are now 40 out of 41 books through the Discworld series. Uh, tonight we are discussing Raising Steam, the third Moist von Lipfig, or possibly slightly moist, uh, slightly damp um, book, uh, first published in 2013, and uh, so that's 10 years ago. Yeah, it's uh, this. This book is a challenge to discuss um, because this is really where uh, a lot of people start to see Terry's uh, writing slipping, and that's hard for some people. And we understand, and we're going to do it anyway. But as always, we love the books, and we love him, and uh, and and you know, like Rob said, the books are here to be read, right? They 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 are they want to be read, and the librarian will come get us if we don't read them. Uh, so I guess we should start out with, uh, our book specific titles. Uh, Justin, you want to lead us off? I'm Justin and you aren't allowed to ask about what I was obsessed with from ages four to eight. I'm Anna and I'm currently hoping that my instant pot won't turn me into a cloud of pink mist. I'm Jennifer and I'm your conductor on the 815 distillat. And I am Aaron, the senior subaltern in charge of loggy sticks. And that voice you heard is our guest for the evening. Uh, Jennifer Adcock, would you like to actually introduce yourself? Hi, hello. Yes, I am Jennifer Adcock. Um, I am a longtime Discworld fan, and I am a game designer. I designed the game The Price of Coal, a game of labor rights in American history. Um, in my day job, I do a lot of spreadsheets, but we'll stick with the fun part of it. Um, but yes, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. I spent a long time today deep in the bowels of Salesforce, so I feel your pain. Ah, uh, yes. Service now for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so tell us a little bit about what was your first Discworld book? Do you remember? I do. So my older brother got me into the Discworld books. He basically shoved one into my hands and was like, I need you to read this. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and it was the big illustrated version of The Last Hero. Oh, um, like the that big is, hardcover. Yeah, uh-huh. so it was an interesting starting point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I did not read them in any kind of order after that. I was absolutely hooked by that one. Um, but I didn't read them in any kind of particular order. I think the next one I read after that might have actually been Nightwatch. <laughs> Which, yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. What, what this, a like... This is total, like... Total I, I, I think we need to make like one of those... Um, one of those alignment charts for, for <laughs> yeah. Discworld reading orders because this is like I feel, pure I, chaos and I love it. Yeah. Th- this feels like this feels like those people who have like compiled the viewing order for Star Trek that goes in strict <laughs> chronological yeah. order. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I got them all from the library and I was uh-huh. just like, I would pick a random one off the shelf and be like, cool, this one sounds good. I'm off on my way. 
<laughs> that is a perfect, that is an entirely acceptable way to go through the Discworld series. Um, I mean, uh, my order was, what does the library have? So, you know, yeah, I'm yeah, right absolutely. there with you. Thank God for the library. Yes. Librarians yes. are the best. Yes. Mm-hmm. So what does Discworld mean to you? So for me, a lot of it was, so I guess, I don't want to say that Discworld was like the first adult fiction that I read, but I did start reading them pretty young and it was definitely the best adult fiction that I read at a young age. Uh, I started reading them when I was a freshman or sophomore in high school. Um, And at the time, the only other not young adult or not for kids books I was reading was like Michael Crichton airport thrillers. Nice. (laughs) Just a bit of a, a bit of a gulf between that and Discworld. Amazing. (laughs) I remember that Mm. phase. I mean, look, what else were you going to do on the airplane? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, For me, a lot of Discworld, a lot of it was just giving me the, I don't want to say that Discworld is what gave me like my moral or ethical system as an adult, but it did give me like a framework to articulate it or to discuss this is what it means to have these morals as a person and to exist in society in this way. So a lot is what it means to me, (laughs) is what it comes down to. The books were hugely formative for me. It took me like I said, I started early in high school. I don't think I like caught up to publishing order until around when Raising Steam came out. Uh, so I was reading them through college. And uh, and yeah, it was really just all through those years where you're like becoming an adult and coming into society. The Discworld books were always with me through that. And have any of the stories or characters changed for you in a notable way as you've grown? Hmm. I will say early on when I was in, in high school, I did not like the wizards books at all. I read them. I still read them anyway, but for whatever reason, I was like, I can't deal with these guys. They're annoying to me. And then later, especially in college, the wizards made a lot more sense to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've frequently said on this podcast that the wizards are always the best in the B plot. Yeah, I could definitely see that. That makes a lot of sense. What book or books or character arcs uh, do you find yourself going back to again and again? Um, So out of all of them, first, I would say the Tiffany Aching books, um, because those ones were just huge for me. Uh, Just as a character that I relate hugely to. But then also within the witches, the two that have Agnes Knit in them, Masquerade and Carpe Jugulum. I will always go to bat for Agnes Knit. I love her to pieces. She meant so much to me. And those two books, even like The Witches are probably my favorite sub-series, but those two really stand out to me. It's just, yes, vampires and Phantom of the opera. This is my jam. <laughs> it's strangely appropriate that we're, we're about to finish the series right when Phantom finally wraps on, oh on Broadway. Oh my God, yeah. It's like it's 40 weird. years. Bad Cinderella. It's replacement. Bad Cinderella is closing right away too. There's going to be no Andrew Lloyd Webber on Broadway. Gasp. Well, time for a Jesus Christ Superstar revival. Ah, oh, finally. <laughs> or um, or the, the one with the fucking trains. Starlight um, Express. They got to bring back Starlight <laughs> Express. Yeah. They got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's what we Complete deserve. Complete with the roller skates and everything. <laughs> that could be... For as good or as ill as you yeah. take that of like what we deserve. We need a Cats 2019 style adaptation of Solid Express. 
<laughs> Honestly, if they brought back cats, that would personally just be a gift to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of kittens, um, we should probably talk about the book a little bit. Also, speaking of anthropomorphized And speaking trains. of anthropomorphized trains, two in one. Double topical. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so steam has come to the disc. Uh, Dick Simnel, son of the last person to attempt to make a steam engine, has hit the books and learned how to harness steam safely this time uh, with the help of his trusty slide rule. His partner in building a railway is none other than Harry King, who's looking for a legacy for himself beyond waste management. And since Vetinari wants to make sure that Ankmore Pork gets its own slice of this pie, and probably also that nothing horrible in Eldritch happens, uh, Moist von Lipwig is put in charge of logistics for the new railway. In under a year, with King providing the money, Simnel providing the technical expertise, and Moist providing the social grease, they bring the train first to Stolat and then to Quirm. Meanwhile, extremism has continued to spread within the dwarf community, with the Gregs moving on to bolder actions like burning down Clax Towers and attacking interspecies weddings. Things come to a head when the Low King, Rhys, is attending a meeting in Quirm. Ardent, the leader of the Gregs, organizes a coup in his absence, is up to Moist with the help of the Watch, Dark Clarks, Goblins, the engineers of the railway, and definitely absolutely not a number of ancient golems, to return the Low King to his scone. Ardent and his followers are defeated, and Rhys makes an announcement. She takes her place at the head of the dwarfs, not as Low King, but as Low Queen. Also, she chooses the name Bloodwin for herself, which is very nice. With Bloodwin returned to Uberwald and interspecies diplomacy saved, at least for now, uh, everyone returns to Ankh-Morpork to honors and medals. Well, almost everyone. Moist Reward is continuing to stay alive uh, and presumably to handle whatever comes next in this city. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff I left out. The kind of core of the plot is fairly simple, but there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of digressions into the the effects of all this tech the, this very rapid technological change. Um, so yeah, that's that's something that you all can read in the book. Yeah, I mean the the first thing to to say, just because I think it's really important, and because Terry at the very beginning of the series said there is no map. You can't map a sense of humor. This book has a map which tells you that everything is changing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, broad impressions. Um, oh, I do want to say one thing that was confusing for me that I forgot to put here, but I just like, if somebody knows this, so there is a thing that in the book that they call a Jim Crow. Yeah. Which, as I have researched is a, is a tool you use for bending rails. Um, which I was like, okay, is there any connection to the American idea of what that name is? Um, I do not know either. Now I'm very I, I curious. Know, but it's just like, it, it was, yeah, it was very weird to hear that name. And I was like, I had to stop listening. And I'm like, <laughs> what the heck is going on yeah. here? Because like from, from context, it was like, okay, this is not what we were thinking, but it's like, ha, huh, that's weird. I think it's because it's a Jim Crow, not a Jim Crow. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's a good question. Listeners, uh, if you're still on Twitter and Twitter still exists yeah. when this episode comes out, um, and you know, tell us. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of etymology, so yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll strike first then. Um, 
I I really do want to like this book. It, but it feels much of it feels to me like good Terry fan fiction as opposed to Terry's writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't feel smoothed out. It feels rough. Yeah, this is the this is the first one where you can really see that Terry was going downhill at that. You time. know, and and with the added context that we got from Rob about like the the bucket, you know, the the salt mine of ideas that they that they stored together to bring out and sort of try mm-hmm. to see if they fit into new new books. It feels a lot like they did that, but then they couldn't quite sand down the rough spots and yeah. you know, make the joins all all nice. Yeah. I wonder if that factored into the way that but so like I said, there's a there's a lot of kind of little little vignettes and stories and stuff like that in you know, tossed in alongside oh. the plot. I wonder if a bunch of those were things from the things from the archives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think the the way I've I've described this book uh, as I was reading it is that it feels much more like a collection of vignettes mm-hmm. that has that is centered around yeah. a thematic yeah. spine. And I think that makes, like, the core of this book is not very strong. And in some ways, it's almost like an early Terry book. Mm-hmm. Where where you have something like Light Fantastic, where there's a, there's a lot of interesting bits that are moving around, but the, maybe the core of it isn't really as strong as you'd like. Um, whereas, I mean... Here, whereas in like something like Light Fantastic or Pyramid or, or like Sorcery, there's a lot of cultural reference jokes and stuff. I think what we get instead here is a lot of ideas. It's mm-hmm. like you can't, it's like he can't stop with all the ideas. And it feels like that there are the next 10 Discworld books being set up here, even if we're not, even if we're not going to mm-hmm. get another moist book. And, you know, Justin, you early on in the, the Dwarven uh, cultural revolution called that there was probably going to need to be a, a revanche of some sort. And you were entirely right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like <laughs> yeah. being right about these things. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, it's, it feels like, it, it feels like that's where we were going already. Um, and like there, there was that thread of there. It really does feel like the natural the natural progression from what we saw in mm-hmm. in well I mean first mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. in the fifth elephant um, and yeah. then yeah. in thud and unseen academicals too yeah, yeah. Well, this has been brewing yeah it was interesting yeah. to yeah. me where like the first time I read it so this was one of the first ones that I read like right when it came out I think snuff I had also done that with but mm-hmm. pretty much just these two. Where I was like, okay, great. I can't wait to get my hands on this new Discworld book. And my first impression of it was not great, but I was still so like, I am still very inclined to be very kind to this book. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's almost poetic in a way where it feels like these little scenes clipping past as you are on a train where you don't get to mm-hmm. see it forever. You don't get to stay in it. You don't get to learn it deeply. You just watch it go past um in a kind of tragic way unfortunately Mm -hmm. but it does feel so choppy where it feels like here's a new idea here's a new idea we're not going to go deep on any of them here's a new idea it's it's almost funny because it's um i mean that's that's 
almost one of the themes Mm -hmm. in the book too of like Mm -hmm. you know that if you if you just flip from idea to idea to idea instead of digging in um you don't get anything done yeah right like when when um dick simnel is like we could do all these things and moist is like you gotta focus bud and from moist (laughs) you know that series (laughs) right like earlier in the series we would get stuff that is like flitting around and it's like oh there's there's a random 70s like british television reference or here's a random weird culturally insensitive joke i think like i'm a lot more forgiving on this because Mm -hmm. like not not because even of terry state but because it's like yeah it's ambitious yeah like like it's and i'm like i'm i absolutely love flawed interesting media and i and it's like it's like i I texted aaron like multiple times during this where i'm like this is so it's it's like it's not like my favorite discworld book but i think it might be one of the most interesting ones yeah yeah this is gonna sound like a really random anecdote but i promise i'm gonna bring it back (laughs) around a couple weeks ago we went to uh my niece's baptism and no one liked the sermon but me and I was asking people why, and they were like, because he set up a lot of interesting ideas in the sermon, but didn't bring them back around for us. And I'm like, I like that. He forced us to make those connections <laughs> mm-hmm. ourselves. Yeah. And it's almost that same feeling here where it's like, he doesn't bring it all the way home, but that also kind of frees us up to do that ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is like... a. For like the last book is a Tiffany book, but I think this is like it's sort of a great place to uh, leave it because it means that there's no, there's no end to Moist, there's no end yeah. to Veninari, and I mean there the, it's the reason I have like a like five hundred words in a note doc right now of like what happens to Ankh Morpork at after like two <laughs> books and yeah <laughs> yeah. So apparently I had not read this one before. Um, I I thought that I had, but like I got into it and I was like, none of this is familiar at all. It kind of grew on me. Like the the first like quarter I found really difficult to get through. But once I got to like the 25, 30% mark, um, it kind of grew on me. Um, Like there's a lot of things that are, off about it like i think that especially the writing in that first quarter is a lot rougher like in terms of just sentence structure than the rest of Mm -hmm. it and the pacing the pacing is also wildly off but but it's also not like it's not that much air quotes worse than some of the early books in my mind like that Mm. you know i would you know if i were to pick up pick up a book, I would pick this up with about the same probability as, like... I mean, I'd pick it up with more probability than sorcery, say. <laughs> I would put this around the same tier for me as, like, an equal rights or something like yeah, that. Yeah, or, like, where more. It's, it's there. It's there. It's just not mm-hmm. all the way in. Right. And I felt like it was really interesting as kind of a... both an in-universe jumping-off point in that, like, we've got Ankh Pork embracing engineering this is only the start like that we've gotten how the we've we've already got the introduction of the bicycle and all that so and i feel like you know we could have with the goblins like the goblins are making a subway system right 
Yeah. The goblins this feels nerds. like the transition point where like we've had all of the modernization books and now this is like the transition point where Discworld becomes urban fantasy. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That like you know, at, at, it feels like at this point, you know, the Angmore pork is going to be all gas, no breaks. All mm-hmm. gas lamp, no breaks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> um and you know, with wild social change along with it, which is, you know, what you know, a lot of these vignettes tie into, but it, you know, it felt sort of like a good end to the Ankmore Pork plot lines to me because I feel like we don't necessarily need to actually explore. Like we can, we can all see the shape of what Ankmore Pork is becoming. Well, and and part well, part of that is sort of. part of that is that like it's becoming shapeless, right? You know, the the whole thing yeah. is that is is you know it's no longer defined by its by its walls, by its boundaries. It's just sort of smearing yeah. and dissipating. It is. We we get the rise of suburbs. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, we should probably move on into themes before some yeah. random person um, online accuses us of, be, of being means of this book. Um, I mean, can, can I can I can I do my first sure. hot take here? Absolutely. This is about how industrialization leads to imperialism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> yep. Like it's not it's not a militant it's not like military imperialism, but it is an economic and cultural. cultural oh yeah, Agmar Pork is racing a cultural victory, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yes. I thought there was a there was a wonderful moment with um with Feeney when he's he's talking about and he says, you know, isn't that a kind of crime in and of itself, these goblins mm-hmm. becoming less goblin like? And I think the first time I read this back in like twenty thirteen when it came out, I was like that's the first time I've ever thought of it that way. It being mm-hmm. a kind of crime. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's there with the dwarfs too of, you know, that they're, they're facing the choice of either they stick to dwarfishness and get left behind or they lose that and move forward. And like, neither of those are good options. But also we see trolls moving into white collar professions. Yeah. Yes, the yeah. troll lawyer was delightful. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, he, he might be my favorite character of this book. And the, and the troll hairdresser, <laughs> yeah. too. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah, you know, moved out of manual labor uh, and into careers. Yeah. And the the other thing that struck me as a theme, too, was just how fast things can change. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, all of this happens within the span of a year which is a little bit that feels kind of unrealistic but also kind of not right yeah i mean yeah like with infrastructure and things like you could sort of like it but time does get a little time runs on narrativium so (laughs) i mean i do want to keep on the on the the cultural modernization theme too because like Mm -hmm. you know the 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 thing that i i sort of noted is like the the expansion of the railway with like the trolls for example and the mm-hmm. trolls are you know we we made jokes early or well, the books make jokes early on about trolls and bridges and terry in this book is like hey you know what let them be proud of their bridges they make awesome bridges uh and you know we see that in a similar light with the goblins and especially their like their their pottery uh mm-hmm. you know as you mentioned with the feeny thing uh, you know, but the trolls have had decades to slowly sort of find that integration 
point, but the goblins are being sort of speed run through cultural integration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The, the goblins are fascinating because they're, they're really a case of like, on the one hand, they, they are like becoming human in a lot of ways, but they're really, but they're, they're also like, you know, they're keeping a lot of goblin shit too, which is, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember, I, I'm like, I've got like the echo of a memory of a fantasy series of, or maybe it was a sci-fi series of a short-lived race that would basically like, that had incredible like flexibility in their like, in their ability to adapt. I thought Uh, that was the joke about humans. And I'm trying to, yeah, no, it's a joke about humans. Yeah, but it's like, like it was even more so, but it was like, it was something similar to this of like that goblins are like, they're very good survivors. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, in this case, survival is cultural adaptation while, while still being very goblin, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, um, they they actually, this isn't a, sci- this isn't a fantasy parallel, but it's a sci-fi one. Um, If you've uh, read the Wayfarers book, by Becky Chambers yes. and yes. the the Acherac. Mm-hmm. I could see that definitely as a parallel. Yeah. That they're they're short lived, but they've, they've been shit on by everybody in the galaxy, um, and like that they, they've had to they've had to adapt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like your note about everyone becoming more more Parkian, which yeah, it's it's one of the things that. You know, we always in history class, whatever you learn about the great melting pot of America. Well, a melting pot only melts one way. You can't yeah. unmelt yeah. all of those ingredients back into separate things. And that, you know, the better metaphor for it is like a, a, a mixed salad where everything retains its unique identity. A Midwestern but that jello doesn't salad. necessarily always happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That doesn't necessarily always happen in the real world. Um, we are all sort of just more expected to become one way as opposed mm-hmm. to yeah. retaining those distinct identities. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what are some other themes that people want to talk about? Uh, the rise of extremism. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Especially religious extremism. And I, I have mm-hmm. a yeah. somewhat of a theory because I have watched way too much British spy uh, TV but it feels part and parcel with a whole bunch of plot lines that I've seen over and over again in those shows about like young Muslims living in the UK who are, you know, either resisting radicalization or who are being radicalized, you know, in a, in a country that they see as their own by, by outside extremists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think there was something really instructive and really potent. And there's a scene where, um, where Ardent is going around like dwarf bars in the city in Ankhmore Pork. And there's these like young urban dwarves who are like, they're adapted to the city. They live there. They view themselves as more Porkians, but they're sort of like, sometimes we miss the old ways or they have just those hints of those like lingering feelings Mm -hmm. and how he instantly seizes on that and instantly capitalizes Mm -hmm. on that just with a few like whispers of poison here and there yeah Mm -hmm. and then just disappears and moves on to the next bar and that is just so insidious but it's so real where it's like it happens that fast Mm -hmm. yeah like how easy it is for people to get sucked into it without without realizing what they're being sucked into Yeah, Um, it's like the 
it's like like and like especially on like I mean I'm Anglo like I you know I'm Anglo-Saxon by immigration and but it's like and like with a touch of Irish and it's like you know you like especially on the melting pot like that you want to feel associated with the culture other mm-hmm. you know to have something to draw on for your history other than you know that and that is a very it's a very easy vector of infection mm-hmm. yeah I also thought it was really interesting to see broadly the downfall of the Gregs. I don't think that I don't think that they're at fully gone forever of course yeah. um mm-hmm. but both like that there's a point where they start to lose support like when they start when they when they're burning the clax towers and people are like like everybody wants their news everybody wants to communicate mm-hmm. and so they're burning mm-hmm. the clax towers and that pisses off a lot of people but they still have power right like mm-hmm. that um and i feel like that i feel like that really kind of mirrors a lot of what we're seeing in the in US politics mm-hmm. especially right now that yeah. like yeah. you know look at look at abortion which nationwide has it's very wi- popular wild appeal that you know for being you know legal and accessible yeah. and yet and yet right yeah um and like you know, that that these things can be pernicious and stick around and be very, very difficult to get rid of, even even if they are not supported by the population. Yeah, that was something I appreciated on this read in 2023 that I did not in 2013, for sure, mm-hmm. was a lot of this subplot. Because um, at the time in 2013, a lot of it felt much more unrealistic to me than it does now. <laughs> yeah. I know how that works. Yeah. Ch- check that up with a lot of the Discworld books, honestly. <laughs> honestly, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah, you know, the the those issues that you're talking about that people use as wedges, you know, like, well, I don't know if that affects me directly, but like, yes, I understand what you're saying, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Terry. Uh, <laughs> this is giving me agita. Uh, <laughs> fear um yeah the the other thing that uh is sort of throughout the book is this like flattening of of economic opportunity and access um Mm -hmm. you know and the whole like well yes this will destroy some jobs and there will be new ones elsewhere which i feel like i just read today about chat gpt i don't know yeah yeah absolutely uh there was there was an interesting note and i know it's come up in a couple of the modernity books before, I cannot for the life of me remember which ones because I did not have time to reread everything that I wanted to. Um, there's a note that comes up about like, is it time for this idea yet? There's a point in Raising Steam, there's a few points where people raise the question of, is it steam engine time? And well, it must be steam engine time if the steam engine exists. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something so interesting in like, society creating the preconditions for an invention to be good like technology broadly neutral it's the societal Mm -hmm. preconditions that allow it to be good or bad and the example i always like to give about this and i wish i could find the essay but there's a great essay on the star trek replicator (laughs) and a lot of people say it would be so easy to live in a star trek utopian future they have a replicator there's no scarcity but the replicator could not have created the utopia. The replicator can only be created by a utopia because it is created with that premise of 
universal yeah. sharing yeah that we do not have in in for example the current world mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah it would definitely be a, sub- a subscription model yeah yeah but i just i love that thought of like just looking at any new technology or new invention being like is it time for this yet have we made it time for this yet yeah um, yeah i think that's a really interesting sort of thought exercise yeah and you know it's not just the modernity novels it's like i mean soul music and all of this, all of the ones with Leonard Quirm and he repeats yeah. this idea of these like particles of inspiration firing through the universe. And sometimes it hits a sparrow yes. and sometimes it hits Dick Simnel. I, yeah. I do find it interesting how like comparatively like Leonard of Quirm has not really produced anything for three centuries, for, you know, for like, you know, 30 books because yeah. he's under Vendari's thumb. Mm-hmm. But between like the post office, which is able, to, which is able to facilitate like the, which is able to facilitate the easy movement of ideas and communication and the reorganization of the Royal Bank, we have two of the biggest factors that are needed for the hygienic railway company to form. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's ready for this because there is somebody who there's Harry King, who's looking for a new thing to tackle. Yeah. Which is, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I I love that note with Leonard of Quirm because it's like, I feel like you're right. He doesn't produce anything, but so much of what he has done is create, the background for other things to be created like he's done that science in the background or he's done he's he's created i guess sort of a foundation um mentally in terms of like advancement of the sciences and arts but then moist work goes and creates that foundation socially and economically Mm. yeah and we find out that it's like it's not even leonard of quirm's ideas that inspire the like the original steam engine it's a reference to fucking pyramids <laughs> yeah. of right. all books. I mean, they're like, like, yeah, because it like, it, there's like multiple pyramids references in this book, which is boggles the mind. <laughs> um, speaking speaking of books like, that are objectively worse than this one. Yeah, I mean, it, it's yeah, it's just wild of just like, huh? It, it's like, yeah, like the the idea of like, oh, we're we're referencing this book. Like, I think Terry hasn't thought about this book in 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also the, um, isn't it the Ephibian like powerboat basically? Um, yeah, yeah. That they escaped, mm-hmm. that they escaped. I thought from. that was in small gods. Oh, is it? Yeah, it is. It might oh, have I, been. Yeah, it but is. But either it way, is. those are both yeah. books that are a long ass yeah. time ago and that yeah. do not really come up much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's wild just like how much that these are there and like they, they've always existed. Just like we have, I mean, gr- like Greek philosophers thought of these things, mm-hmm. but it just like we, do, you know, it's like we don't have this, you know, we don't have X, Y, and Z to put this on a functioning level, but we know how this works. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. One, one thing that I found was interesting too is like we've talked a lot about how this book is delving into like the social effects of rapid technological change. I found it, I find it interesting to think about specifically the cultural effects of the change in transit, right? That, Mm -hmm. you know, the ability to move people and things rapidly 
uh, and smoothly is having a huge is making a huge change on mm-hmm. the disc. Even just the the notes about you know living in a medieval city, realistically, you're getting a lot of spoiled produce and seafood. Mm-hmm. It is not good anymore yeah. by the time it gets to you. Just even simple things like you're getting better food. Yeah. So um, should we skip forward to some of our button moments? Yeah. One of the ones that really struck me was it is said that a soft answer turneth away wrath, but this assertion has a lot to do with hope and was now turning out to be patently inaccurate since even a well-spoken and thoughtful soft answer could actually drive the wrong kind of person into a state of fury if wrath was what was on their mind. (laughs) Um, One button for me for this um, is that the rich or the aristocrats generally hated the whole concept of the train on the basis that it would encourage the lower classes to move about and not always be available. <laughs> and the, 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 like, I think I was like, I was laying down when I like, I was laying down, like, you know, chilling, you know, what I was, and I sat up and I was just like, ah, yeah, no, there, there's a, there's a lot of class commentary in this, in this book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that I, that I, that I, I, sent to friend of the show silver of what, what is the communist man or what is the, what is the, the, the international sound like in Encore Porky? <laughs> <laughs> um, and along that line, along those lines, another one I have is it was an inspiring dream. If you didn't look too deeply at words like mortgage and repayments and repossession and bankruptcy and the lower middle classes of Ankmore Pork, who saw themselves as being trodden on by the class above and illegally robbed by the one below, lined up with borrowed money to purchase by installments their own little oidong, where it's Shangri-La. <laughs> as someone who bought a house last year, that one feels very real. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on, I just got a notification about my student loans. <laughs> <laughs> yes, mortgaged my brain. Um. <clears throat> people often use the excuse that old people won't understand something. But in fact, they simply don't watch or under, don't want or understand it themselves. Uh, actually old people can be quite gung ho about risk and very proud of it, which is pretty true. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one as well. That one was really, I was like, you know, he's got a point. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, the, the, the March of progress thing, uh, a kind of ratchet formed in people's minds. Here's the new thing. And here it is. And yesterday you never thought about it. And after today, you don't know what you would do without it. Very don't go true. away Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure whether this one belongs in buttons or in just like favorite quotes, but, um, I felt like it qualified as a button. It's Cormian, but don't worry. Most of them speak more Porkian. And you know why? Because none of us can be bothered to learn Cormian. Yep. <laughs> I mean, and specifically, I mean, there, there's like... Specifically, specifically with the French, right? Yeah, with the French. <laughs> because, I mean, uh, like, I mean, there's so much in this book about like, oh, now that the train is there going to Querm, you have people taking like day vacations mm-hmm. to Querm. And it's like, oh god, the Brit- the British. Oh, <laughs> oh no, it's the channel. Which I have to say, I've done. I've taken the channel. It's actually kind of boring. It's, you're in a tunnel for like twenty five minutes. But don't worry, the existential dread keeps you keeps you busy. <laughs> I've seen Mission Impossible. I haven't. <laughs> oh. 
Uh, any other buttons? Um, no, I, I kind of mentioned mine earlier that moment with Feeney where he's like, and that's a kind of crime too, isn't it? You know, him being a police mm-hmm. officer and concerned with the very literal definition of crime, but also is this not kind of a, a moral sociological crime that's mm-hmm. happening? I love that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then the one last one that I will pull then is when, uh, when they're marching into the caverns and, uh, and Reese at that point before she decides to reveal herself, uh, you know, Moist says, you're all dwarfs. What can you possibly achieve? Grown Moist, who for the rest of his life would always remember the tone of the king's voice. Tomorrow. That, Mr. Lipwig, is what we can achieve. Tomorrow. Yeah, that was a beautiful one. I love that. Yeah. I have another I have another little one that um that I really liked. It's when Moist is like talk kind of talking to himself and assessing his own like prejudices. Um, it says, now don't you give me all that again with about being traumatized by seeing the picture of a grinning goblin in that children's book when you were little, okay? Get over it, Moist. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, honestly, mood, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, sometimes sometimes we all need to be like, get over it. Sometimes yeah. you just gotta get over it. There's nothing else for it. It's interesting how much of this book bleeds and in, in, in snuff sort of bleed together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. They, they feel very much like they were and written in the, yeah. the same vein. Yeah. As Terry uh, was thinking hard about goblins and playing too much uh, Elder Scrolls. <laughs> uh, okay, now for more fun parts or details or passages. Moist, uh, I'm going to say, Moist is the best wife guy in this Boy, book. this book oh, is. Yes. Like, but this true. book is horny. That is so like, true. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like he gets like goblin Viagra. <laughs> yeah. God, yeah. Yeah, you know, as you do. <laughs> and then Adora Bell is like, get more. <laughs> the goblins are going to invent blue chew. Be take my word for it. It's gonna happen. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. I just thought of like just because who who in the disc invents podcasting? <laughs> Oh. oh, it's going to be the guy. William DeWard. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, both of the, the central married couple, like, normally, I think, like, I think we are, like, sort of, like, I think normally both of, like, all of us are, like, a little weary of, like, when Terry writes couples, like, but, or especially ones with, like, more traditional dynamics. Yeah. Uh, But, like, Moist and Adorabelle and the Kings are both, are, they're like some of my favorite parts of this book of just like, Absolutely. they're both like very fun. And and this one like really avoids the like wife jokes that are in snuff. Yeah. Uh, which I really appreciated. Yeah. And there would have been room for them with Effie King. Um, but Effie is treated with respect. She sets this whole, whole enterprise straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I love the and, kings. The kings are everything. And Harry so clearly like sees her as a as a partner in all things and an intellectual equal yeah. and <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. She she's got like mob wife energy. <laughs> I oh, mean for she sure. basically like Carmela Soprano energy. Yeah. 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 There's something so British though about the birth of trains being pretty much instantly followed by the birth of train spotters. Like yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. The guy just pulling out the notebook and writing yeah. a one in it. It's like, yes, here we go. 
and you know Chekhov's golems, of course. Yeah. Oh yeah. I loved all of the bits with um, the golem horse and Moist being like, "Can you go act like a normal horse for a little bit?" And he's like, "I'll frolic if that's what you want me to do, boss." I've existed <laughs> yeah. for nine hundred years without a name, but now I have a name. Wow! Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love I love that. I I also I really liked Moist in this one. Like honestly, in some ways more than in the other two. Like you know, he he felt he feels very real. Um, yeah. And one of my favorite Moist things, Moist lines is it was the crack of seven and he was allergic to the concept of two seven o'clocks <laughs> in one day, which you know yes. is a mood. Oh yeah, big time. I yeah, I mean overall in this in this is like he definitely like it's no like especially because like his secret found out was found out at the end of making money and yeah. you know now he's a known crook. He never he he doesn't have like that there's no threat hanging over him, at least from like a being found out. I think we'll get we'll get to talking about the veterinary of it all, mm-hmm. but like he like he's he's at ease. Okay, but wait, wait, yeah. is veterinary dread pirate Robert singing? I might I might um, kill you tomorrow. I, that's I mean yeah. it's a good question, right? Yeah, I I don't know. <sighs> veterinary in this book is weird. Well, that's because do, do it's because it's not actually veterinary. It's t- not actually veterinary for for most of the book. Well, no, it's only that bit at the yeah. end where it's Charlie. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's only during the, the final voyage. Yeah. yeah, when he when he when he's. Stoker, uh, Stoker, Stoker Blake, or something like that. Stoker Blake, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, before we before we move on, I, I also want to point out because I realized like three quarters of the way through the action set piece, not not the big final one, but like when when they have all of the decoys out, Moist is literally playing Find the Lady, and we don't realize that yeah, until I didn't even un- notice. We that. don't realize that until <laughs> Bloodwin like reveals herself. Yeah. Which is just a hilarious callback to his origin. Delightful. Um, but also torture is bad and doesn't work. But the kitten torture is pretty funny. The kitten yeah, torture yeah, is really that, funny. that is funny. Uh, and, and the other thing that I don't know, I was I was debating whether to put in a button or a or down here, but like Simnel's whole perspective of like you can't make something safe until you acknowledge and understand why it's dangerous is yeah like yeah. such a hard nosed engineer kind of thing. Like you know. He never is like, of course this is safe. He's like, this is really freaking dangerous. And you need to be careful and you yeah. need to be methodical and you need to know what you're doing. You can't just make a train. You have to do all of the things that make a train first and know all of the things that can go wrong. And I like specifically all of the notes about him blowing things up on uh-huh. purpose so he knows how to avoid yeah. that happening. Yeah. That's every engineer I've ever met. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now where he's like describing himself hiding behind a wad. I'm like, yeah, no, that's the yeah, I, I also really loved seeing more of the goblins because yeah. um, they yeah. were, you know, they were really interesting in snuff. But you, know, in some ways we didn't we didn't get to see them with a lot of nuance. Yeah. Um, but here seeing like we've got you know, multiple, multiple like subpopulations of goblins who have distinct differences it's not just a monolithic culture um you know we've got uh all the stuff with their names which is really interesting to me 
we get the Quermian goblins who have cigarettes yeah. and, and their yeah. little ascots and they're very fashionable. And, and what's his name? <laughs> uh, and who's the, the one who's hanging around with moist all the time. Um, the Shaw goblin. Yeah. Uh, who's like, Oh yeah. The Uberwald goblins. They're weird, but they'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think one thing that it's like the uh, like if like for for a perspective of like you know why we see is because as compared to snuff we're not seeing the goblins as victims of genocide we are seeing them as a culture that is being allowed to thrive mm-hmm. yeah yeah which is you know it, it's it's a really cool thing of like seeing that yeah of seeing them like oh hey this is what this is what goblin culture looks like when it's allowed to like when it's not being murdered yeah and it's interesting to me too how little of uh, CMOT Dibbler we actually see in this book. Yeah, yeah, I would have expected more of him. He's Seems just, like he's a just ripe selling, for opportunity. He's only he's only selling. I would have thought that he would be like the first one in line to do concessions. Mm-hmm. It sounds <laughs> yeah. like he's sort of like. I, I mean, it sounds like he's sort of moved on to like franchising. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I also really liked uh, Simnel calling out the opinion columnist as like <laughs> being full of bullshit. Yeah, yeah. The whole portrayal of Simnel, I I actually really enjoy because mm-hmm. he puts mm-hmm. on this veneer of of simpleness as a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. And related to that, I, the columnist, I also like Moist identifying the first travel columnist and being like, oh yeah, a rich old lady who just wants to travel for fun. People will read her opinions about this. And they yeah. did actually produce a book that is yeah. um, supposedly written by her. Oh, fun. Oh, incredible. It's hard to find. I'm sure. There, um, I got recommended it on audiobook, <laughs> so. Um, Interesting. Uh, at least Audible has Through the so. internet. What a concept. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else people want to highlight? Uh, I think I'm good. Okay. Uh, and we've sort of covered the fundamentalist stuff, but we can talk about it more if anybody wants. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, just like rap, like the, the, the thing of like, I, I feel like that there is a specific, if like the the Gregs feel like a callback to the like, or, like, or they feel like a unspecified reference to like the Luddite movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At, I mean, though the Luddite movement is complicated, and there are historical contexts there. Yeah. Um, but it's like it feels like a, like <clears throat> specifically like chopping down like water towers and stuff, and the and with the Clax towers. But it, it's interesting. It's just like that there is this anti technological faction that's risen up there. And I mean, it's like, people are like, there's the, there was an interesting point where it's like, they're like, they don't hire, like they're they're not hiring dwarves on the railway. And, and people are like, well, we forbidden them from working on the railway. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's, and I thought that that was one of the really interesting bits with extremism is that you, there are a few, it's not really delved into, but like there are a few places where like, you know, that becomes a feedback loop, right? That, you know, the, the dwarves aren't working on the railway because, you know, they've got factions that are like burning tech technology. 
And and then that feeds into like now they're angry because they're not being allowed on the railway. Mm-hmm. And speaking of of the Luddites, there's also that that element like it's brought up very briefly where they're like, oh, yeah, this will put loads of people out of work. The carters, the horsemen, whoever, it'll mm-hmm. put loads of people out of work. That'll probably be a problem at some point. Veterinary acknowledges, yeah, that's going to be something I'm going to have to deal with. But they do not bring it up anymore in this book. And I'm yeah. like, that's an interesting thing to just draw drop and never come back to yeah i i i have a joke that like this this is a joke but between the goblins dick and all the engineers this is the most autistic representation i've seen in a work of fiction (laughs) so valid (laughs) and i mean i mean if we if we expand it to just like neurodivergent then then you know we've also got moist in there too for sure. Moist, moist is uh, definitely like bipolar, but like all stuck on manic. Yeah. Oh yeah. Gosh, I'm trying to think. Is there anything like particular? And there's just like this. This book is like teeming with like the problems that happen with you have when you have technology introducing rapid societal change. Yeah. yeah. And like, I feel like that there's a bunch of stuff that like if we had gotten two more Ankh-Morpork Pork books would be right for. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I have, the- I have theories and I have my soapbox in the next, uh, <laughs> in the next. I think section. one of the things that, that I guess sort of stick out to me in terms of relevance is, you know, jumping off of that, that rapid technological thing we see time and again, like what happens if you don't also take care to follow the safeguards you know, whether it's the, whether it's the single rail, the single line railway where they're like, you know, symbols like, here's how you make sure that you don't crash. And they're like, well, that's inconvenient. So we're just going to, we're just going to assume that everybody knows what everybody else is doing. Uh, you know, or the, the, the landslide that the the kids do and you know, that they're sort of going to be like the saviors or whatever. Uh, or, um, or the kids that, that moist rescues right. on the tracks. Yeah. 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 The amount of times this book uses the phrase a warm pink mist yeah. is is telling. Yeah. Yeah. Um I think that something else that like sort of jumped out to me with this is that like the reason like is that everything works out very well for the book because it's a fictional story we want a happy ending. But also because, because of the desk, um, the railway predates capitalism. Yeah. That is <laughs> yeah, I guess it's sort of still mercantilist at this point, right? Interesting, yeah. 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 Although we do see them inventing, in a sense, the the shareholder mm-hmm. type of arrangement with, yeah. you know, Harry King and Dick Simnel owning shares of the railway and Veterinary having sort of the symbolic tiebreaker mm-hmm. share. Yeah. And like they even discussed the idea of well selling of selling off shares to make people share like yeah. make people front like share the cost and like, you know, share the wealth. And it's like, well, you know, Harry, what are you gonna need all this money for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, another another thing that I thought was really interesting was the, like, how does somebody become a master in something that they invent when you have this the 
system of masters and apprentices right. and stuff like that because like the guilds are highly resistant to getting simnel master status and mm-hmm. then that means mm-hmm. that he can't officially train apprentice apprentices um you know until you know at the end he gets you know he gets master status and you know the train is his masterwork obviously but um, I thought that, that I thought that that was really interesting in terms of like you know that that's the you know the the thing of like somebody becoming a master in something that's brand new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like the traditional guild progression not really being applicable, but not having anything to replace it with yet right. either. Right. Yeah. Right. And and they set up the like and they just decide to set up their own school. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because it's like oh hey we're the only people who know how to do this so we'll just put it in there and you know we'll we'll do this and you know it's like okay we're we'll, we will like and sharing information you know so that like oh hey we can like sharing how we make the safe is mm-hmm. certainly yeah. like, i mean certainly generate i mean this is i think this is a very interesting thing because it's like what if industrialism happened when people were like happened by people with good intentions mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah which is a wild thought. Very. Yeah. Let's see. All right, Justin, you want to go off on your tangent? Yeah. Uh, hold on. I I feel like I feel like I need like a brass band play, playing like revolutionary <laughs> music, but like I think we are at the point where it's like, okay, Veterinary is not going to be here forever. Mm-hmm. And Boy, is Ankh-Morpork going to be fucked when he's gone. Yeah. Um, because Veterinary is, has basically made Moist the chief bureaucrat of Ankh-Morpork. And everybody, the aristocracy, the guilds, and like, and a lot, and like the watch are basically all being held together by unspoken like handshake agreements and i think there is the popular fan theory that moist is being prepared for the position right that's never that's never worked for me and and it will never work because yeah because moist is a negotiator he is not like he's not a tyrant right and i think that there there is there are two outcomes for a, a, a post-Venendari Ankh-Morpork. And they are a worse tyrant takes over. As per um, usual. Because I, I think like I think that is probably the most likely outcome. And when I say a likely outcome, I'm just like talking about like historical precedent. The most mm-hmm. likely outcome is whatever Terry Pratchett would think would have made the best story. Mm-hmm. Um, but or possibly, who knows? Maybe. I I discussed this in our snuff episode, but like maybe we get a springtime of nations of like that. They're like, there are a bunch of now very connected places um, that now have mail and railway connecting them. Uberwald, uh, Quirm, you know, and there's going to be more going on that are sharing ideas. And, and like the dwarves are on a path to, I mean, if not replacing the low queen, what if the next low queen is 
somebody in Ankh-Morpork. Yeah, uh, I mean, right. they they talk about, like, dwarves being like, why isn't the scone here? Right. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 I think maybe the funniest idea, like, I, I, and it's like, would be someone like Cheery. Oh, that would be, I would Delightful. love that. Yeah. Of, of like, you know, it's, you know, it's like, oh, hey, we've got this, we've got this dwarf flying around who's been in Ock Warpark for the longest time, maybe out of like any dwarf named character. Mm-hmm. Or, or yeah. Greg Bashfulson as like a, a philosopher king. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, overall, I just like, I think that it's like, whatever happens and it's like, you know, and whatever happens there is just that like, Aquamore Park is going to completely turn in on itself in probably a fun way. I think I think that there's a third possibility there, but it would be very short-lived. I think that this book, um, it felt to me like it was setting up a possibility for the future where Vetinari dies and they, like, Weekend at Bernie's him. With the with the body double flow. Well, also oh. he is dating a vampire. That is yeah. also true. You know, I kind of just assumed that Vetinari would never die. Yeah, he can't. He can live forever. I don't see why not. He's accounted yeah. for this. <laughs> but oh, and to to briefly like go onto something that I think is really like interesting and heartbreaking about this book, and we saw it some in Snuff as well. We can see Vetinari, there's a lot of Terry in Vetinari, and we can see it, we can see it because Vetinari is failing, right? Like, this is kind of, you know, the, the what happens to Ankh-Morpork Pork when Vetinari is gone is fresh in our minds because there, there Vetinari is not able to do the crossword anymore. And like, you know, his, in like, you know, having weird mood, mood swings um, and losing focus. Uh, he's not he's not the same veterinary that he was, you know, two two books ago. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting that this book, in relation to veterinary, it also gives Drumnot a lot of of character and things yeah. to do outside yeah. of existing in veterinary's periphery. Um, and I think that's very interesting that we're already sort of seeing that sort of structure change where Drumnot has a hobby for the first time ever. And, you know, <laughs> how <laughs> how does that um, change Vetinari's sort of landscape as, yeah. as he's, he's going about his rulership of the city? Um, and I thought that was very interesting and would have liked to see that develop further in future books that we obviously did not get. Yeah. And, and um, I feel like Drumnot's enthusiasm for the rails like it's one of the things that helps convince veterinary not to squash it absolutely yeah. yeah but yeah i mean honestly you know it would be fascinating to see drum knot and moist try to run the city yeah <laughs> yeah i always kind of felt like <laughs> yeah i always kind of felt like the most likely thing if there was going to be something that succeeded veterinary which again i always just kind of assumed he'd taken care of it already and would never die. Uh, and people might raise an eyebrow now and then, but no one wants to ask too many questions. Um, 
would be setting up almost like a parliamentary council of some of these main characters who we've had throughout the other books. Like, yeah. not necessarily Moist ruling the city, but Moist certainly having a voice in it as the mint, the post office, the bank, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Moist, Vimes, I, Drum Knot. Yeah. yeah Sybil. The, the, the heads of the guilds. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure which which would scare, which would like shock veterinary more a democracy or a committee <laughs> i mean I, I sort of in like the, the way that i envision veterinary's plans for for uh work after he's gone like have you ever seen a tensegrity table no. um google nah. that it's familiar they don't look like they should work but they do oh yeah 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 i know i know what you but mean like the the, ten, the tension yeah. thing yeah. But like a an n-dimensional version of that. Yeah. <laughs> Just sort of a side note, like I sort of wish that we'd seen the canting crew one more time. I kind of like them. That's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. They could have been riding a box car into the sunset or something. Going going to have a beach vacation in Querm. <laughs> Guess Pode with his head stuck out the window. God, yeah, there's a there's a blast from the yeah. past. It's also kind of funny that Vimes had two train fights in two books. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, yeah. hey, he, you know, had to, had to fit those in at the end, at least. Right. He earned them. And I also yeah. sort of liked, I mean, I forgot to mention this above, but like, I like how they, they lampshade and subvert the, uh, the going into the tunnel thing. Oh, yeah. 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 Where Moise is like, ha ha ha. And then he's like, ah, shit, the tunnel's yeah. too big. <laughs> And actually, for me, um, the the thing of like, oh, actually, this random character that we mentioned like twice is secretly actually Vetinari. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, it could have been set up more gracefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it was just like, okay, um, that was that may have been useful knowledge earlier for the audience <laughs> to have. But oh well, Ha-ha, it was me yeah. all along. Yeah, right. It it felt it felt like just very dropped in, um, and because I feel like that's actually a, it's it's an interesting thing of like you know yeah. that veterinary has a body double who like apparently yeah. this is a regular gig for him. It was just sort of dropped in as like ha, I was there all along. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. The thing that I struggled with, and maybe I would have struggled with this less if I had read it under different circumstances. I sat down to read this right after um, reading a bunch of articles on stupid AI Web3 bullshit that I hate. (laughs) And so I was already mentally in a state to be primed of, why are they trusting this new technology so much? Why is everyone assuming this is going to be a societal good? I no longer assume any new technology is going to be a societal good. I can't anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Goddamn crypto. <laughs> yeah. Bullshit. <sighs> yeah, I still think that if Terry were alive and writing today, uh, uh, cut me on throat would have invented cryptocurrency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait, you mean I can sell them nothing and they'll give me money? Le- leading to a complete Clax <laughs> failure because you know he's selling he's selling ownership of Clax messages or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it checks out too well. Other, I mean, we're at 40 of 41 books. So what other, what interesting references to other pieces of Discworld did you, did we, have we not mentioned already? Um, 
There's just so many. Yeah, I mean, God, yeah, that, that really is so many. Yeah. Uh, I, I liked that Queen Kelly of Stolat gets a mention. Yeah, that was really uh, nice. And uh, the Aglet Road, I, I'm i hoping that's a, an Amazing Maurice reference. I, I feel like it is. The, the yeah. idea that all, all, all shoelace aglets are imported from fantasy Asia, what I guess. Like? Yeah. I, I felt like the, the vignette format was very successful for bringing in references to other other disc stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like there was a lot of characters we sort of got to say like a little goodbye yeah. to. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it wasn't intended as such necessarily, it still sort of felt like we get to see them doing their thing one last time. Uh, there's like one very brief mention of a clax tower up in, in Lanker and they, they have, they mentioned like the witch going up and mooching coffee uh-huh. off of off of the clax <laughs> operators, and I'm mm-hmm. like, the witch. It's probably they nanny. Do that. It's definitely nanny. Yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, it it honestly could be granny too, right? <laughs> yeah. Just bullying them, and you know, and meanwhile also bullying them into sending messages for free. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, what else do we want to talk about? Yeah. Wait, so we we kind of touched on this like with Leonard versus Simnel, right? Um, I thought I thought it was an interesting like observation on like invention versus industry because Leonard like invents for the sake of invention and because he can't stop, um, <laughs> right? Whereas Simnel is there like thinking about how how this thing that he has made could actually be used. And and I think that, that that's particularly highlighted with like, you know, the, the joke about Leonard is that, you know, he's as likely to, you know, draw a picture of a beautiful flower as he is to design a new war machine. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and he doesn't think about what the like he des- he's designed all of these like weapons of war without thinking about what what they could be used for. Mm-hmm. And I think there's also an interesting angle there where like when they first approached Dick Simnel about patenting the technology of the train and they're like, well, could someone else just build this? And he's like, well, they can try, but they have to pay me for the knowledge that I've accrued to date. And he's very open to the idea of patenting it. And I think if you tried to explain patents to Leonard of Quirm, he would hate it. Uh, right. <laughs> he would just hate it immediately and reject it completely. Yeah. Um, just because he doesn't have that business mind nor should he necessarily he's he's not that kind of genius yeah and i always wonder how much leonard has shaped veterinary's like perception of technology um because Mm -hmm. because leonard has designed so many horrifying things dude made an (laughs) atom bomb (laughs) right thought up an atom bomb right yeah you know i i think that that you know has possibly like very much shaped Veterinary's like you know, preconception that like all technology is bad. You I mean, know? he also he also has just had to deal with. I mean, remember the truth, where he's like, <laughs> "Oh, has this been on? You know, has this been has this been demonically infested? Is it over a hole of reality? Yeah, the, yeah. the man has been like <laughs> right bitten twice." Multiple times shy. Right. But there is almost something eldritch about Iron Girder. 
Yes. yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh my god. And have have you all seen photographs of what a steam train looks like if its boiler has exploded? Oh, it's ghastly. Yeah. yeah. So in the in the industry, um, it's called a blev, b l e v e, which stands for boiling liquid evap, uh, expanding vapor explosion. Because what happens yeah. is it's pressurized, and then there's a rupture. And so then because there's a sudden drop in pressure, all of the other liquid boils too and turns into vapor too. So it gets worse. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. It made me um, It made me think of when I was watching HBO's Chernobyl yeah. series, which I had a very hard time watching. Yeah. But that same yeah. type of like eldritch look to it where it's like, maybe this shouldn't exist actually. <laughs> yeah. And the the like... You know, trains with all the the pipes looking like tentacles coming out of the you know, <laughs> yeah. coming out of the front is like that's an image. Yeah. Um, and like you know, I kept thinking thinking of those pictures as we're as we you know we're talking about the anthropomorphized train, mm-hmm. um, who is you know essentially elevated to a goddess. Yeah. Um, through the power of belief, you know, small gods reference there. Yeah, um, and yeah. also American gods too. Yeah. 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 I mean, she does talk to him at one. So she talks to Moist at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, that scene where the, the where the dwarf just sort of gets evaporated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I also like that, like in in comparison to the scene where we see Emily King, Harry King's niece, and Dixon Mills' love interest, where she like goes up to this train and she never gets a splot of like soot or ash or or anything on her like she is pristine every time she goes and hangs out with the train because clearly the and train that scene, loves like yeah. where where dick and and moist are like oh no yeah but but clearly because the train understands that she loves the engineer the engineer loves her so the train will keep her safe mm-hmm. yeah Hey, a Discworld book where polyamory finally is the answer. <laughs> Sometimes a family is a man, a wife, and a train. Yeah. It's possibly an eldritch god. <laughs> but yeah, speaking of, of Moist, I don't know if anyone here is a Disco Elysium fan, has played that. Um, there is a concept in the game of the Innocences, who are basically like the popes of that world. And the last one, Dolores Day was assassinated allegedly for bringing in ideas outside of time for, for forcing ideas on humanity that we had not, that we were not ready for. Um, And if there is anyone in the disc world who is that and is going to get assassinated for bringing forward these ideas that people are not ready for, it's moist. (laughs) Innocence, moist von Lipwig, rest of his name. (laughs) I do think that like, I mean, the time monks at least seem to like, they, they even acknowledge that, like, this is happening out of order, but eh, don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> the timeline's been broken enough times, it'll probably be, it'll probably be fine. Yeah. Self-repairing. It's fine. Yeah. Um, and speaking of Moist, too, he has changed so much from going postal. Oh, yeah. He is, like, yeah. actually a genuinely good person now. Um, and it's like, it kind of... It kind of warms my heart that truly the leopard can change its shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Some round world references round up. Um, so there's a scene where Moist is pretending to get drunk, but 
diverting his host's alcohol to a hidden container inside his clothing. Uh, this is apparently confirmed to be a real thing that a prohibition agent did, um, where he would pour into a flask into a, an inside coat pocket that he would then use as evidence in court. My question is, how did he manage to get it into that flask? Yeah, that's a good question. Right, like faking drinking. Like if I'm imagining having like a little tube and I'm like, I'm not sure I could fake that gracefully. Yeah. Like, is he like taking a sip and then pulling out the tube and like spitting it back out? Because like, that's disgusting. And that would still get you drunk. <laughs> yeah. Um, Although I slower. Also, there, there's a scene also where the, uh, the they're playing with a model railway and, and there's even like a miniature Harry King. And I, I don't know. I immediately thought of Mr. Topham Hat. <laughs> yeah. yeah i love how instantly they get on like the toys and collectibles of mm-hmm. the train yeah Which, uh, and yeah, like all yeah. the little figurines for the kitties to collect i love that yeah the conspicuous absence of cut me on throat there is is notable yeah yeah uh other things people want to touch on um there's the there's the point where nobby and colin are like explaining how the train works to somebody and they like kind of describe maglev. <laughs> uh, Even a stopped clock is right twice a day. <laughs> right. Uh, and I'm like, no, they just described a different type of train. Goodness. Um, the, the, and Aaron, maybe you can comment on this. The, <laughs> there's that, there's that quote. Um, there's an old dwarf proverb, which translated said, any three dwarfs having a sensible conversation will always end up having four points of view. I've always heard that like as a joke about rabbis. Yeah. Oh, I've always heard that as a joke just about Jewish people in general. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, most of Jewish faith is based on rabbis arguing the margins, to be honest. Okay. And and I I I loved that. Like, <laughs> I really I really enjoyed that quote. Something something interesting to me is the the whole book in some parts, but especially the like run to Uberfald, um, reminded me a lot of the the kind of train sections of Iron Council by China Meaville. If any of you have read that. Um, which I is not no. Which which is also funny to me because I mean that's another book that um, I think generally is you know not regarded as highly as the other books in its series, um, partly because it suffers from essentially the same pacing problems as this book, um, and the the parallels were kind of funny and and you know they were both they were both books that I enjoyed more than I was expecting to. But yes, if you want if you want eldritch train stuff and like the horrors of cultural hegemony, then <laughs> you know, check out Iron Console by China Meaville. There's always room for more eldritch trains in my life. <laughs> Any final thoughts on the book? I think I'll just leave it with a thought of it was more interesting than I expected. And it's yeah. it's a fun departure from main Discworld. Yeah. And I'll say that it was one of the only ones that I had never reread. I read it once and then did not pick it back up again. Every other book except for Shepherd's Crown, I had reread at least twice. I've read them all a lot. But I'm really glad I reread that one for this one. Um and I'm I'm glad to have additional perspective on it and to have been able to revisit it. Yeah. I, I'm right there with you. This was my first time rereading it. Yeah. All right. 
We are not reading this book. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, we're not reading this book. Um, and Justin, I, I, I'm taking the bit away from you. Um, okay. First off, because, I, oh, hey, it's the first book you haven't read. Yeah. Um, first off, listeners, uh, this is a point at which a lot of readers stop. And that's okay if you need to do that. Um, we'll be here when you're ready. Uh, but for now, we're moving on to the last book, uh, which is The Shepherd's Crown. And I'm going to read the back. Deep in the chalk, something is stirring. The owls and the foxes can sense it, and Tiffany Aching feels it in her boots. An old enemy is gathering strength. This is a time of endings and beginnings, old friends and new, a blurring of edges and a shifting of power. Now, Tiffany stands between the light and the dark, the good and the bad. As the fairy horde prepares for an invasion, Tiffany must summon all the witches to stand with her, to protect the land, her land. There will be a reckoning. All right. Interesting. Uh, before we go, uh, Jennifer, do you want to be found on the internet? And if so, where? Um, sure. Yeah. Um, I am on Twitter at JenCatWrites, J-E-N-K-A-T-W-R-I-T-E-S. Um, it's private, but only for, for my own ability to approve new followers. Most people are fine. So you can request to follow and I will usually approve it. <laughs> uh, and, um, remind us again of your uh, RPG work. Uh, yeah, so I am an RPG designer. My main game is The Price of Coal, a game. If, if you liked the themes in this book about industry and the forces of industry and capitalism, uh, treating workers unkindly and putting people out of work, you might like my game, The Price of Coal, um, a tragic game about a real event in U.S. history where um, U.S. forces dropped uh, bombs on striking coal miners. It's a very heartwarming topic. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us and uh, thank you all of you for joining us on this journey and I hope you join us next month for the final step in our journey. The Complete Discography is an independent production by four people who just really like these books. All opinions expressed during the show are our own. All quotes from primary or related works are used under the Fair Use Doctrine and remain copyrighted by their original owners. The music from this podcast is sourced from Incompetech. That info can be found in the show notes. The rest of it is distributed under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it. Please share it. But say where you got it, don't make money off it, and don't change it. Connect with the show at a 2 pod, which is... A-T-U-I-N underscore P-O-D or email us at atuin.pod at gmail.com Thank you.